A warm welcome to one and all uh, listeners, viewers uh, attending this live stream and those who will inshallah eventually watch the recording. Uh, with me today is uh, Sheikh Sajid Umar, uh, my, my Sheikh, my teacher, someone who I uh, respect and have known for almost almost a decade now, I believe. Sheikh Sajid. MashaAllah, time flies, Ya Hisham. SubhanAllah, time does fly. I knew you when you were a young, impressionable lad. Now you have two impressionable lads with you, mashallah. <laughs> <laughs> Alhamdulillah, time flies. And in um, speaking of time, that's the you know the topic of our discussion today. But before we jump into the topic of our discussion, uh, to introduce our Sheikh Sajid, uh, Sheikh Sajid Hafizahullah um, started out uh, you know uh, in Zimbabwe. Did his degree in IT, his first degree in IT. He then proceeded on to Al Imam University in Saudi Arabia, where he completed his degree in, in Sharia, uh, his master's in Qada, in, in judiciary, and um, I believe now completing his PhD as well, or rather he has completed his PhD, sorry, as well. Um, completed six uh, months ago, yeah, Hisham. Six months ago, subhanAllah, I, I need to be updated. I am updated, alhamdulillah. You are updated, you <laughs> forgot. <laughs> yes, May Allah you reading, you're reading the text that isn't updated. Yes, maybe, maybe I'm reading <laughs> the, the, the wrong text here. Um, so, inshallah ta'ala, we are pleased to have Sheikh Sajid, who has always had a, sp- a special interest and attention given to this subject, the subject of having a vision of being disciplined Muslims, of being transformed Muslims. Um, some of his articles on Islam 21C touch on this topic of visioning, of knowing to growing. And I do invite all of you after this and before this to have a look at those articles. Um, uh, so Sheikh Sajid, just to begin this conversation, where did your personal interest in this subject begin from? As a Sharia student, someone studying Islamic sciences, how did you begin to be interested in this idea of personal development? Alhamdulillah, we always start in the name of Allah and we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, announce that all, announce that all praises belong to Him. And uh, we especially request praises and blessings upon the final messenger, Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Uh, to our viewers, salamullahi alaykum wa rahmatuhu wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings and may safety from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon you all. Firstly, it's uh, an honor to be here with uh, um, a student of mine who is uh, who also has a special place uh, in my heart. Someone I consider a prized student. May Allah uh, give him thabat and steadfastness. Ameen, ya Rabb. And with the Roots Academy. Um, it's, uh, it's an honor. And I extend uh, a heartfelt gratitude to Roots Academy for choosing me to be part of this very first, um, I believe, first podcast of this nature. And uh, inshallah, there'll there'll be many more. And I pray that Allah uh, accepts from myself and from Roots Academy and makes all the other podcasts that happen after this one a sadaqatul jariyah. And it's something that um, we can get the rewards of uh, as well. I'm sure Roots Academy will be bringing many, many more um, inspirational uh, teachers, imams, du'at, guests. Um, so um, I advise uh, all listeners to definitely um, subscribe and take note uh, of uh, their channels and benefit from them. Uh, in terms of the question that you've asked, yeah, Hisham, uh, for me personally, it, it is clear when this happened. I wouldn't say uh, I was someone who grew up with it, uh, who was exposed uh, to it. But I would say, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, you know, hindsight is, is, um, uh, isn't always a, ne- a negative thing. 
Um, I would say definitely, you know, the, the upbringing my parents gave me in hindsight, when I look back and thinking of, you know, how my teenage years uh, were shaped mm-hmm. um, without really understanding this whole concept of a vision and living your life with, with the end in sight. Uh, credit is definitely um, uh, and it deserved to be given uh, to them. Um, but in terms of my own personal uh, journey with with the topic at hand, yani, uh, more specifically, then um, it really began when I understood or began to understand um, the importance of each and every member of the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa This is really when it started, uh, you know, uh, dawning upon me that there has to be uh, a better way. You know, we, we always say, we, we, we know we live in a time where, um, the world, as it perfects itself and continues to develop itself, it's always pushing for innovation and pushing for, you know, productivity and uh, development of ideas to make productivity even more productive and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're a member of the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and your teachers are telling you and you're reading the text in the Quran and you're reading the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and you understand that there's no prophet to come after him mm-hmm. and uh, he was the last flag bearer of the greatest legacy that the earth has ever witnessed. The legacy mm. of Nubuwa, of prophethood, of mm. inviting to one Allah, of inviting towards good and being an obstacle towards uh, the work of shaitan. Mm. And uh, Allah then takes that greatest legacy from the shoulders of one man and places it collectively on the shoulders of an entire nation. Mm. And thus we are the best of all nations. This is when it really uh, started dawning upon me that, you know, um, we have to uh, recognize the importance of time mm-hmm. uh, because really our being is nothing but time mm-hmm. and every second that ticks uh, sends us one second closer to the grave and then what's going to happen to this legacy? We have to do our part, right? Of course. Uh, and that's where this concept came in because when you're growing up, you have, you know, you have so many ideas, so many things you want to achieve. I mean, mm-hmm. you want to be a football player and you want to be a pilot. You want to be the imam of the haram. You want to be all these things uh, in one. But uh, you realize, subhanAllah, that um, uh, you only live one life, you know, and in that one life, you can't do everything. You, uh, you got to be pragmatic. You got to be practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, on top of this, uh, in answer to your question, uh, it was also a case of as the study progressed and you, you're now reading, you have access to different Arabic works because you've developed yourself with the Arabic language. And now you're reading about the Sahaba and texts that you never or you, you wouldn't have. Uh, you know, before it was translated into the English language. And you start saying, subhanAllah, you have Abu Hurairah, who's a specialist in his thing. You have Khalid ibn Walid, who's a specialist in his thing. You have Abdurrahman ibn Auf, who's an amazing businessman. Abu Hurairah is an amazing muhaddith. Uh, Khalid ibn Walid, uh, you know, strategist in terms of fi sabilillah, and not just strategist, but amazing execution in terms of his leadership, in terms of his vision. And uh, and and how, subhanAllah, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam managed all these different skill sets. He wasn't trying to push Khalid to be Abu Huraira, Abu Huraira mm. to be Umar and so on and so forth. You realize that subhanAllah, you know, um, we all vying for Jannah, but mm. we need to settle in mm. our path that's mm. unique to us. And um, this is where uh, the journey really, uh, for me, became crystallized and, and, and needed greater attention and greater uh, contemplation. Let's not forget the Quran is all about a com, you know, commanding us towards contemplating. And there's so many uh, ayat in the Quran uh, that really, if you ponder over them, you see, subhanallah, 
Um, it's all about living life with, with, you know, uh, living life with the end in sight. Mm. It's, uh, uh, it's not about living life in the moment purely. <laughs> it's living life in the moment. Yes. But with an idea of the world you want to see the day you die. Subhanallah. And uh, a lot of, I guess a lot of in this current age, we have a lot of, you know, it's almost separated into two separate questions or two separate awakenings one has. The first awakening is that I matter. My time matters. Life is short. And the second awakening is, okay, now that I know that time matters, do I continue behaving in a random manner? Uh, you know, one day I do a little bit of this, another day I do a little bit of that. Or do I need to be in some way part of those little streams that flow into the larger river of the Ummah, reviving the Ummah in some way? And which stream do I pick? And so you discussed the first, how that initial awakening happens to realize your time is limited. Um, and, and what about the second? So this, this part of now I realize you know, I need to be contributing in some way to this ummah. There's no prophet that's going to come and save me. I matter. And actually, it reminds me of the saying of Ibn Abbas, عنهما, you know, who was very young, young when the prophet, peace be upon him, passed away. Yeah. And it's narrated that he was playing with his friends and he said to his friends, you know, the prophet Muhammad has passed away, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Let's go and learn from the companions. So his friends said, you know, who's going to need us? Let's, let's play. Mm. You know, and there's that always that question for young people, particularly. No one needs us. You know, we can mm. continue watching Netflix, relaxing. You know, our time can go like that, and nobody's harmed. But then, if you think on the flip side, uh, you know, there must be. I'm sure you can mention many stories of young people who shook the ummah, whose whose contributions were important and and ac- extremely necessary for for the ummah of Muhammad to move forward. Could you mention some examples, Sheikh? We have we have countless uh, examples from the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam throughout uh, the ages of Islam, and you 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 you've, you've summarized it uh, you know uh, p- pertinently. It's an issue of uh, recognizing number one, you do matter. That is, you do matter. You remember of the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That is your identity, and parents need to instill this identity in their children from a young age. They have to realize this mm-hmm. that you know Allah chose us. It's like when your country calls you up for duty. You mm-hmm. have to serve, right? So Allah has called us up for duty by mm-hmm. decreeing that we be from the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This ummah, by default, you know, when we talk about um, people on duty, we talk about they're disciplined, they mm-hmm. have willpower, they, mm-hmm. f- f- you know, forcefully can't do the things that the other people are doing. They have to train when the other people are searching, watching a match, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a doctor, for example, he's a person on duty in, uh, not on a national level, but in some capacity, right? It's not yes. like the state calling you like uh, the state would a soldier, but even a doctor, you, mm-hmm. you, 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 you carry a responsibility. You could be mm-hmm. having a brunch or lunch on the weekend with your family and the beeper beeps. That's in the olden days. You get a, a type of, of uh, emergency call out. You have to go. You don't think twice about it. And everybody mm-hmm. around you understands that mm-hmm. person's on duty. This is an important mm-hmm. person. He's on so a mission. Definitely, definitely every, uh, every Muslim child. Boy and girl, right? Uh, needs to understand their identity. We are members of the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Allah has called upon us and He's placed the legacy on us collectively. And we need to realize the consequence of consequences of us not stepping up. If you have a heavy load and it's shared between a hundred people and then people start opting out of carrying that load, that load will only get heavier on the people that have opted in. Mm. So you're only setting up the rest of society for failure. Mm. 
Also, we need to understand if we have the no care attitude, then we might, uh, you know, live a life that we want to live today. But there will be consequences with Allah because we flouted the, the, the responsibility that Allah put on us. But how can we guarantee that our lack of action today didn't lead to our grandchildren going astray tomorrow? Because remember, if you have a friend who's going astray and you choose to opt out, of carrying the legacy of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's not my problem. I pray it's his problem, mm. right? I'm only worried about my house. I'm not mm. worried about his house. Mm. Tomorrow he will get married. He will have kids. Those kids won't be raised well. They will have grandkids. Those grandkids might be your grandkids' friends. There's a domino effect. It's a domino. It has to be. We are interdependent beings. So we, every child who is born into a Muslim home or who enters the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they need to realize that they wear the stripes. Mm. We are upon... What we say in Arabic, الثغر. we we are upon a post. We have been posted. Allah has posted us and we shouldn't let harm enter society through us. Mm. Right now, obviously, these posts are realized in different ways. Of course. But I want to just, uh, you know, add to what you said. This is important that mm. each and every one of us are important. Nobody should feel unimportant. Nobody should feel like we're in a time capsule. It's not our time. It is mm. your time. In terms of the second point, do we have examples? Countless examples. I'm from the Sahaba, from the children of the Sahaba, were those who were so inspired by the message of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and uh, you know what was happening. This paradigm shift, this global uh, culture change that was was being born. Um, uh, you know, they were inspired that they would sneak out with the armies when they would go out to battle. It was. It was a norm sometimes that the Prophet ﷺ would make an announcement and people would leave. But it was done, especially in the Medinan phase. Well, uh, battles took place uh, during the Medinan phase, but it was done uh, as a stealth tactic because there were hypocrites around. If announcements were made prior, then this would give ammunition to the hypocrites because they would get time to inform uh, the opposition. So the Prophet ﷺ would implement some stealth strategy. Mm-hmm. And with this, Obviously, you're not checking who's going out. So you'd have some younger people who are below the age of puberty sneaking out with the army. But then when they would camp at their first camp, the Prophet ﷺ would audit the army. How many camels do we have? How many horses do we have? What type of infrastructure do we have? How, you know, the men, how many do we have? And then he would find these children mm-hmm. or those who are below the age of puberty. And then he would get them to go back and they would, this would, uh, you know, this would upset them. We have Zaid ibn Thabit, radiallahu uh, He was from the people of Medina, young boy. And uh, he wanted to participate with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam denied him. This boy went home upset. And his mother found him upset. What's wrong, ya Zaid? So he explained what his issue was. So she took him back to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And she said, my son may not qualify for this but by Allah, he knows how to read and write. And he's memorized a number of surahs. I forget, the, I've, I've forgotten the exact number. A number of surahs and can read it to you exactly how Allah has revealed it to you. Subhanallah. Use him with his skills in a, mat, in a manner pleasing to Allah. So what did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tell his mother? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told his mother, uh, tell him to learn Hebrew. Mm. He came back within days, Hisham. Within days, speaking fluent Hebrew. Allahu Akbar. Then the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Go learn Syriac." Mm. So he became a translator for the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam official. Mm. 
at his young tender age. And then also he was from the scribes of the Quran. And after the Prophet ﷺ passed away, he was made the lead for the gathering of the Quran at the time of Abu Bakr. And also when Uthman standardized uh, the Quran, he was again made the lead. So here we see clearly, subhanAllah, that our youth are our today and our tomorrow. Unfortunately, the English language has statements sometimes that subconsciously uh, make us feel like, you know, we, we, we can relax and uh, we can retire. There's no relaxation. There's no retirement from the time you are born and you understand right from wrong. Even before the age of puberty, understand that Allah has called upon you. Allah says, infiru khifafan wa thiqala. Subhanallah. Go out, the young ones and the old ones. Nobody can say I'm retiring from building Jannah. Because remember, this is what it's, this is what it's about. It's about carrying the legacy and the reward for it is a Jannah that has a width greater than, uh, the, the, the skies and, and the earth that Allah has prepared for the believers. Subhanallah. And this is really beautiful how the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would, he would see the potential in a young child and push them in that direction further. So that they would then become a master of, of whatever it was and contribute to the ummah. But coming to a practical question for us today, uh, you know, I'm an 18 year old entering into university. I'm a 25 year old. I've just graduated entering the workforce and my nine to five is taken by my, uh, you know, by, by university or by my workplace. And I'm not really sure. It's still, it's murky for me. It's blurry for me. What is my contribution going to be? Where am I going to fit in? What brick am I going to be in the building that lifts this ummah up? How can one, you know, what are some important practical pointers? Uh, you know, of course, it's a discovery journey. It's not something you're born with the knowledge of. What are some important pointers we can take practically in order to come to the conclusion of what our vision should be or, you know, what we should be focusing on? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I remember working with you on your vision when you were a teenager, uh, mm-hmm. in Dubai, in your home. I remember that. And I shared with you some, some, some pointers then. You know, Hisham, and to all our, our young listeners, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. Mm-hmm. Um, life is a work in progress. You're never going to have all the answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is something to immediately take note of. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, it's important to go through life, uh, vigilantly, mm-hmm. right? And I, I say this carefully. What do I mean by this? I mean, go through life understanding your abilities, your inabilities, or what is considered a temporary inability, right? Because mm. in life, we, ha- we, we, we sometimes are, we have willingness to do things, but we're not able. And sometimes we're able, but we're not willing. Mm. It's important to understand, you know, understand yourself, understand who you are and, and who you're not, not entirely, but in terms of, the experiences of life that you've had. We eat certain foods. We know this is for me. This isn't for me. A child knows this from us from a young age. We know the child, the mother comes with the spoon. The child shuts the mouth and, the, you know, but that's not, not the right example because as the brain cells develop, the, the taste develops and, and, and you develop further. But the point is that by default, mm-hmm. we, if we're vigilant, we realize things about ourselves. You know, I, I'm, I'm an extrovert. I'm an introvert. So it, it's about, uh, you know, going through life in this way, especially you know, you can say, you can say, even, you know, nowadays we say the, 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 the venture or the journey of life with the schooling system, et cetera, is not ideal. Mm. But at least we can appreciate that, you know, the, 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 the system doesn't bring about, you know, um, crossroads that limit our potential until we get to the age of, for example, 16, 17, 
right? Mm-hmm. And in today's day and age, being 16 and 17 is very advanced. It's different from, from before. We live in the age of Google, in the age of artificial technology. We're in the age of mobile phones. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in the age of, uh, you know, stimulating programs. Uh, um, we, information is plentiful before. If you needed to have an encyclopedia, you had to buy a huge, massive a collection of books and then have a big massive place in your house. Nobody had, had any, it wasn't the norm. Today, mm. you don't need that. You can access information as you need it. You don't need a library. And we see this. I, I mean, my children are much more informed about life than I was at their age. In fact, they know more about life now than I know. I mean, today just at the lunch table, they were teaching me some new things. This mm. is, this is the norm of life. So, you know, at this, at, when we say 16, people are able to learn so much about themselves very early on. Mm. Concept of the vision is not about having all the answers. Mm. The vision is about just trying to I- identify after you recognize that I have to be practical. Sure. Right? I am carrying the legacy of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I'm not anybody. I'm somebody. Okay. Mm. How do I want to go about this? Right? I have to recognize my abilities, my inabilities, uh, what I'm willing to do, what I'm not willing to do. Why am I not willing to do that? Is it a case that, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I can be willing, but I'm unable. Okay. I can become able. I can train myself. I can. It's about having, having this type of diligence and mm. being vigilant. Right. Mm. And then it's about going on a journey with yourself simply asking yourself the day I die, what world do I want to see? When I look at my parents, what do I want to see? When I look at my spouse, what do I want to see? When I look at my children, what do I want to see? When I look at myself, my relationship with Allah, when I look at my neighbors, when I look at the community, what do I want to see? Right? You, a 15 year old can do this, you know, uh, to, you know, uh, you know, in, uh, I would say with some good detail. It's about really pushing yourself, sitting down with yourself, switching off from the chaos of social media. The loud noise of social media, connecting with your fitrah. That's basically it. The Prophet ﷺ would go to the cave and, uh, and contemplate. What was he contemplating? He's contemplating life. There was more to life than what he saw in Mecca. So he was moving away from the chaos of misguidance to give himself a chance to be guided. Right? That's what it's about. So you have that meeting with yourself and you try and pen down what you would like to see that would make you feel ready to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What would you want to see that would make you feel you did everything in your capacity with regards to the, the legacy of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that you carried, that tomorrow you will meet him at the Hawd. How will you meet him at the Hawd? When you, when you picture that meeting and you on your deathbed, does it make you smile or does it make you, what will save you from crying at that moment? That's what it's about. And remember with you, it was a difficult one, right? Uh, and we, w- what was the solution? We flipped it. We said, okay, don't write what you want to see. Write down what you don't want to see. Remember mm. that? Yes. And immediately you had ideas. You had ideas because a lot of us, especially teenagers, they might not know what they want, but they know what they don't want. And I found this as a, as a very uh, useful strategy. And, and perhaps this is sourced in the Sunnah, in the Hadith of Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman. كان الناس يسألون رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم عن الخير وكنت أسأله عن الشر مخافة أن يدركني. He says that people used to ask the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him about good. What good can I do? And I used to ask him about evil so I can avoid it. And so people have different approaches, right? Um, I mean, it's it's a bit different on that one because obviously he was asking about the unseen. Of course, Rafa yeah. was asking about, but 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 the idea the idea is the same. 
that, uh, you know, um, uh, there's two approaches. You can approach something from the angle of knowing and you can approach something from the angle of not knowing. But personally, if I, you, you probably tried this with friends, Hisham, when you sit down with your friends, say, where should we, where should we have lunch? Everyone says, anyway, anyway, I, I don't mind. Then you say, let's go for Chinese. And someone says, no, 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 uh, no, not Chinese. Say, but you just said anyway, mm. you don't mind anything. You don't know what you want. See, I don't know what I want, but I know what I don't want. Anything but Chinese. Chinese, I know I don't want, but give me other options and then I'll, you know, I might know. So this is, this is something I found effective. Even if you ask a 10 year old, really, if you ask a 10 year old, an eight year old, you know, the day you go to Allah, what don't you want to see? They'll tell you stuff. Mm. It's about being vigilant about that stuff. But you know what? Who does this? Who does mm. this? Who has a meeting those lines? You know, we don't really, yeah. usually, we don't think about these things, these questions. Who switches off? And just thinks about things. Mm. It's, life pulls you into, into this robotic movement. Mm. And especially in this day and age, we've got to be very vigilant because Allah is taking away barakah from time. Subhanallah. Look at 2020. Mm. You know, COVID's come and literally eaten the entire year. We, we, we remember playing, praying uh, tarawih in lockdown last Ramadan. There's five and a half months left to the next Ramadan. Subhanallah. And, and time is flying away and, and, mm. A lot of people, the general feeling right now, and I'm talking from the UK that's about to go into national lockdown, the general feeling under lockdown and just being at home is that every day merges into the next. Every day is the same routine again on autopilot. And there's no break from routine, no change of environment. And a lot of people are thinking, you know, are are completely miserable. On the other hand, there are people who, and I've spoken on the phone to a friend of mine today, in the last one month, he's read, uh, you know, Imam Al-Tabari's collection of tafsir. For him... The, the lockdown is a, is an opportunity because he has a specific vision that he's working towards. And so he's picking the opportunities every moment he gets. And so perhaps this is where, you know, it perhaps follows on to the next question, uh, in our discussion about once you know the importance of vision, you know that you need to work towards something. You start thinking about yourself, being self aware. You start combining instinct with opportunities around you and start exploring how you can contribute to the revival of, of this ummah. But slowly you start to realize I work nine to five. I'm married. I have kids or, you know, I'm tied up in this or that commitment. How can I deal with the, uh, you know, the competing priorities? And this was the second kind of um, topic of discussion, the hectic nature of life. How can we deal with competing priorities? How can you practice? The Prophet ﷺ, he was a politician. He was a leader. He was an army general. He was a husband to multiple wives. And of course, he's the messenger of Allah and he's, Perhaps different to all of us. Yet at the same time, how did the Prophet ﷺ prioritize? He also only had 24 hours. And this is the remarkable thing. Those before us, they may have been, uh, his companions may have been amazing people, but they only had 24, 24 hours in a day. So what can we learn from them in terms of dealing, you know, work when working towards a vision, dealing with all the competing priorities uh, of, of a hectic life? Barakallahu feekum. Jazakallah khair for, for bringing this uh, question. I'm reading it on, on, on screen as well. Um, they did have 24 hours, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the companions, uh, but they had 24 hours filled with barakah. Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe our grandparents uh, also experienced barakah in time. Um, you know, they, they would say uh, that when they were young, they would plan to do 12 things in a day. And by Zohar, they were done. Today, we plan to do 12 things in a day and Maghrib comes, we've only done six. So barakah, that's number one, right? They were righteous people. They were pious people. But in terms of the question that you asked, just before we tap into that, we spoke about, we spoke, you know, generally about the vision. It's about having this idea 
Um, the fruits of it, no doubt, in terms of a university student, um, I just want to highlight very quickly before we move on to this is, for example, when you at, when you have to, when you, when you're choosing your A-level subjects, what subject should I choose? Mm. Right. Many write to me and, and ask for this advice. Their parents are saying, choose this, but they don't really like the subject. Can they choose this? And then I ask them, okay, why do you want to choose that? Mm. Right. You don't want to choose that subject because it's your parents want you to, and you don't want to, but why are you opting for this? And you find that it's, it's a stalemate. They don't even know why they want to choose, want that subject. You find a, uni, uh, a person wanting to get married. They say, Sheikh, you know, what question should I ask her? What question should I ask him? And my answer to them is, you, you know, my questions are my questions. I'm not marrying the, this person. You marrying this person. You mm. should have your own questions. And it boils down to this reality that everyone is living in the moment. They don't realize that everything we do is a means to an end. Mm. And we have to ensure that the means is correct when we're carrying this legacy. Because mm. time is of the essence. We don't have room for mistakes. Focus is important. Mm. We don't have rooms for mistakes that break our focus. Mm. As the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa focus is needed. The vision brings about that focus. Mm. It helps us realize the right things to do as opposed to the good thing to do. And this is what, what I found um, uh, an issue with our, our teens uh, and uh, university goers. They, 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 uh, they conflate good for right. Mm. And I have a principle. Everything right is good, but not everything good is right. Mm. Right? Everything right is good, mm. but not everything good is right. Something can be good, but it's but not the right thing. Yes. You, reading a book is good, but if you have an exam tomorrow and you haven't, you're not ready for it and you're reading a book not related to the subject, that's not the right thing to do. Mm. Reading a book is good, but that's not the right thing to do at that time. Mm. Right. Sometimes you see a brother saying, you know, Sheikh, uh, you know, so I'll, I'll marry this girl. Why? Because she, everyone said she's a good girl. Okay. Mm. She's a good girl, but maybe she's good, but right for someone else, not for you. How do you know this? It's, it's almost like somebody, you know, uh, going on a journey and saying, you know, what direction do I take from here? How do I, you know, do I take a left or a right? And you say, well, yeah. where are you going? He says, I don't know where I'm going. Well, then exactly. go right or left. It doesn't matter which way you turn. And, and that's where midlife crisis comes in, right? Because mm. the thing with life is it always teaches us. Whether we like it or not, life teaches us. And you get to a stage in life where you wake up one day and you realize where you should be going. But then you look at your certificate, you say, subhanAllah, I studied the wrong degree. It's not going to help me get where I need to get to. You look at your spouse, I married the wrong spouse. So she or he's not going to help me get where I need to. The children I want to raise, this person's not going to help me do that. Right? Now the incompatibility sets in. You look at the country, you and the passport, you're, I'm in the wrong country. What I want to achieve needs me to be in this place. Mm. Right. So you're 20 years late, you're 25 years late. That's the midlife crisis phase. So we're saying to, uh, um, you know, and I did this, this tour, and this is probably one of the reasons why you've chosen this topic for me was the university tour in the UK. Yes. Uh, where we spoke about this in different universities because the university students and it's, 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 it's becoming more common than I would like to admit. They study a year, they study two years and then they, they want to change the sheikh. They write to me, can you help me? I want to change my parents. Don't want me to change my degree, my, my uh, specialization. Can you speak to them? Mm. You know, you can't delete two years of your life. You, you're 18 years old. You're 19 you're in university. You're not going to become 19 again. You, you, you know, we don't have time to make these mistakes. Now, I'm not saying it's a train smash. Okay. Alhamdulillah, you realized. But when you want to make that change, tell me why. Mm. Don't tell me I want to change this tahassus, this specialization to this specialization. Without telling me why, mm. right? So th what the vision is about this, brothers and sisters in Islam, to our listeners, it's all about 
understanding that everything we do is a means to an end. What is that end? Mm. Now you spoke about the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and competing priorities. The vision helps with this. The vision helps with this because when you have a vision, there's so many things that you probably um, were doing before the vision that the vision helped you realize were not a priority then. That's what the vision does. Because remember, everything I'm doing is for this end that I see. The vision is not clear. It's like a murky image in your mind. This world I want to see the day I die. Mm. Right? And now you're aware of the opportunities you have right now. You're aware of your financial resources. You're aware of your personal resources, your educational resources. Based on that, how do you make the most of what you have now in light of that world you want to see? By mm. default, when you, when, when you have this type, I don't want to call it a tunnel kind of approach, but it form, it formulates a type of tunnel for you to look through, right? Mm. When you have this tunnel, it's going to remove every other matter mm. that you might be involved in, but it's not a priority right now. You've mm. made something it, it, I'm not saying it's not important, brothers and sisters in Islam. Maybe volunteering at that organization is important. Maybe doing this hobby is important. Maybe doing this particular sport is important. But what we're talking about is we want to focus on right, not good. So the vision helps you turn, you know, through, through creating this tunnel, funnel out what is good, but not right for me at the moment. Mm-hmm. What shouldn't be an urgent matter in my life right now? It's important, but it's not something I should be making urgent right now. For example, for example, you become a father, right? And uh, before you became a father, you were pursuing something else that was leading you to have a career in something that you see as linked to the world you want to create. Yes. Right. But now you became a father. What happens? Right. You go back to the vision and then you work backwards and you realize being a father is a mandatory role. I can't give up on this. Mm. The job that I have. Is an elective role. I have flexibility. I have weekends where I'm, I'm not on the job. Mm. Being a father, there's no weekend. You can't say it's Saturday. I'm not a father today, guys. I'm, uh, you know, don't call me dad. Don't call me baba until Monday. Huh? I'm logging off. Right. Mm. Call me brother. Call me, but don't call me. on Monday. You call me baba again. Never happens. Mm. Right. So now you're able to make informed decisions. It doesn't mean brothers and sisters in Islam that life's going to be easy. Of course. It doesn't mean that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa never had to uh, make difficult decisions at certain times, but he had to make the right decisions. And that's life. In life, uh, if life was all about doing what we wanted to do, when we wanted to do it, we'll be in Jannah. Mm-hmm. And what's the point of Jannah? Life is about making the tough decisions. And this brings about leadership, brothers and sisters in Islam. When you have the ability to leave that other good thing which you wanted to do, for another thing that you were not particularly interested in, but it was the right thing to do. That's leadership. Hmm. That The Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa needs to have that quality as well. So this is where this whole discussion of the vision also manifests its importance. That you'll never find a leader, uh, an effective leader. Let me say it properly. Because today, you know, in the world of, of personalities and marketing, everybody is, uh, is a CEO and founder and leader and so on and so forth. But we're saying you'll never be an effective, an effective leader mm. void of having a vision. Mm. Um, it is a long discussion, uh, as you know, uh, Hisham, but we just, we just uh, planting seeds. Uh, you know, I really believe that when our brothers and our sisters sit down with this, it will, they will be able to answer many of the questions, questions they seek answers for from others by themselves. Sheikh, do you think, you know, when it comes to, 
dealing with these competing priorities. You mentioned having criteria, so uh, understanding, you know, what's more important, what's less important, etc. But do you think that there has been something very important from the prophetic lifestyle that's lost today, especially perhaps in uh, people in their 20s or in their later teens, which is perhaps the prophetic routine? to sleep early, to wake up early, to have certain actions. For example, the Prophet ﷺ after Fajr prayer, that would be his time to himself to fill his own cup, to remember Allah, to recite the Qur'an before going out, you know, into the world, uh, you know, helping people, dealing with conflicts, running into battle. But he had certain time in, in the day and how he would end his day, you know, the adhkar, the words of remembrance, the morning, evening. How can we structure our days to help us to prioritize family, ourselves uh, and, and others? Barakallahu feek. It's about, it's, a, it's, it's about this Hisham. It's about doing the right thing. There was a time when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was made busy and he didn't pray his two units of salah after dhuhr. Mm-hmm. So he did qadha of it after asr. Mm-hmm. Alright? Um, was this intended? Of course it wasn't intended. But life will bring about curveballs that will force us uh, to shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's, it's an issue of how much do you shift? Do you shift to a stage or at a pace whereby you can't uh, correct, uh, you know, uh, correct your, your GPS? Mm-hmm. You can't recalibrate. Mm-hmm. So this is where the vision helps. No doubt when we further discussion or further the discussion, then it comes down into the sources of barakah, mm-hmm. which is Burika li ummati fi bukuriha. Our, my, my ummah is blessed in their early starts. All right. It was the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa never slept. After mm-hmm. Fajr. Subhanallah. Right? He, he had a qaylula, uh, before Dhuhr. Um, but he never slept after Fajr. And he said, my ummah is blessed in their early start. Mm-hmm. The adhkar of the morning. Mm-hmm. Salat al-duha. Mm-hmm. The sunan al-rawatib. The adhkar of the evening, which happens from Asr onwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these play a part because at the end of the day, brothers and sisters in Islam, as you all know, uh, all success begins with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is perfect. All perfection stems from Him. We say, Allahumma anta salam. Wa minka salam. You are the perfect one and from you stems all perfection. So you have to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and make dua and so on and so forth. This is a given, by the way. Even mm-hmm. when, when you run your process of developing for yourself a vision and trying to write down, you know, all, you know, uh, the things that we spoke about, the world you don't want to see the day you die and the world you want to see the day you die. Throughout that process, you're praying istikhara. Throughout that process, you're doing istishara. You, you're speaking to people who you trust, people who sincerely wish for your success and you're bouncing ideas off. Am I, um, uh, uh, you know, overdoing it here? Am I going to get, uh, you know, is this going to burn me out? Am I, am I going uh, about this in the right way? Then you're making dua, which is istikhara. Istikhara mm-hmm. is dua. Uh, this, these processes are not separate from uh, the discussion at hand, especially for the believer. Mm-hmm. For the believer is part and parcel of it. Remember, brothers and sisters in Islam, uh, for a believer, you know, uh, you, I know now the concept of having a vision is theoretical. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's even become uh, industrial. The self-help market is is uh, worth billions. Uh, books are popping out every now and then. Uh, at the end of the day, for a Muslim, we're not talking about it because of that industry. We're talking about it because it's imbibed in our fitrah, mm-hmm. in our natural disposition, and it's part and parcel of the core of the Quran and Sunnah. And it is the way of the greatest example that we have, Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He taught Tawheed and he taught all the tenets of Tawheed, respect to parents, how to study, how to 
deal with different uh, groups, how to be a Muslim in a majority, how to be a Muslim in a minority, how to be a father, how to be a husband, how to be a father to somebody else's child, and so on and so forth. Um, and when you have a vision, it's not about quantity, it's about value. And you can spend five minutes with someone, but they feel that you spend five days with them or five hours with them. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Because it's not just the vision, it's vision imbibed with the guidance of the Quran and Sunnah. And this is one thing you see with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. If you look at most of the narrations, you find Abu Bakr with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Umar with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You find narrations, Uthman is with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But you don't find like narrations constantly with this person and this person and this person and this person. But subhanAllah, when they speak about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, they have stories so, you know, large, mm-hmm. right? Pages and pages to tell you about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam because the few moments they spent with him was transformational. You see, this Arabi came to the, this Bedouin came. He came from outside to Medina and he told the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, tell me something. He, uh, he says there's so many, uh, acts of worship to do. Tell me something unique. Mm-hmm. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, say Subhanallah, Walhamdulillah, Wala ilaha illallah, Wallahu Akbar. Mm-hmm. Huh? And then he goes back. And then he thinks for a moment that, okay, but I'm saying all this, that's for Allah. What's for me? So he comes back to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He goes, okay, I said, this is for Allah. What's for me? So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam smiled and said, after you say that, say, Allahumma ghfirli, oh Allah, forgive me, warhamni and have mercy upon me, warzuqni and sustain me, wahdini and guide me. So that's for for Allah, for for you. Subhanallah, the Bedouin left. This hadith reaches us today and acts as a, as a means for, for, for billions of Muslims. Subhanallah. And it's an interesting report because it, uh, perhaps it touches on one thing, Sheikhana, which, uh, perhaps is lacking in the world today, which is the absence of a mentor, the absence of a person you can ask the question to. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, people would come and ask him a very similar question. Tell me a good deed that I can do. Tell me a deed that will make me enter paradise. And they're all asking similar, similar questions, but he would answer with a different answer depending on the personality of the person or the challenge, their unique challenge. And that was because of his understanding of people and his ability to advise them. But today, perhaps many of us, uh, we lack that mentor. And when we lack that mentor, uh, m- many of us really, we don't know who to ask the question to. Where should a person who's looking for the answer, other than self-awareness, other than looking into the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and learning from it, where can one go to aid their process of discovering? Um, I disagree that people don't have a mentor. They have a mentor. Subconsciously, I mean, without them realizing they do. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. they've made social media their mentor. That's what's happened. You're on social media and you, you're flicking, you, you, you drive into Facebook. Then you reverse from Facebook and you drive into Twitter. Then you reverse from Twitter and you drive into the Instagram and so on and so forth. And all you're doing is wasting time. Number one, looking at other people's lives. Mm-hmm. So it obscures yours. You end up not having, you, you want that, what that person has, and you want that, what another person has. And you, all you're doing is bringing harm to yourself. You make yourself overwhelmed mm-hmm. until you feel in a state of decapacitation. You feel, you feel decapacitated. You feel this is, you know, everything I want, I can't do. Then you start pointing fingers. You start feeling sorry for yourself. You start blaming, you know, uh, people. You start, uh, this people have mentors. Unfortunately, it's the wrong type of mentorship. It's mentoring them, uh, into, uh, retrogression. And um, uh, into a state of disaster. You're absolutely right. You need a murabbi. Right? If you look at 
the, from the time of the Prophet sallallahu he was a sallallahu alaihi wasallam he was a murabbi to the sahaba the sahaba were murabbis to the tabi'een and we have uh, reports in the greatest books of of uh, that we have in Islamic history of you know in terms of usul al fiqh jurisprudence methodology in terms of maqasid al-shari'a the objectives of the sharia scholars of the sciences speak at large imam al-shatibi and others imam al-ghazali has spoken about it um Ibn Jama'ah. So many of the scholars have spoken about this concept of having a murabbi. You need someone who is not just knowledgeable, but responsible. Mm. Knowledgeable and responsible. Mm. Because uh, I, I would use the word wise, but I, in this day and age, we need responsible. Mm. Uh, wisdom is, is, is connected to responsibility, where the person feels uh, that they have a duty to this person that they speak to. Uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will question them. About what they, about the advice that they, they, they share. And also the fact that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, ad-deenun nasiha. Religion is sincere counsel. So when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says this immediately, you understand that a murabbi has to be part and parcel of the process. Why? Because if you have a murabbi, you allow for people to develop without the mistakes. In life, you learn the, my dad used to always tell me this, and I remember this growing up. You learn the hard way or you learn the right way. The right way is to take advice from the people who've seen life and made the mistakes. The hard way is to make the mistake yourself. The difference is the hard way is a slow grind. Mm. Right. And as generations move forward, we don't have the tenacity that our parents had before our grandparents had before they could recover from mistakes in ways that you and I can't. If we make that same mistake is going to set us back a longer time than, than it set them back. So a murabbi is important and we shouldn't forget how important our parents are as murabbis. Right? That we should go back to them. That no one will love you more than your mother and father. It's physically impossible. Right? Except in uh, uh, odd uh, circumstances that don't need to be mentioned. Nobody wishes for your success. Our teachers will. No doubt. But wallahi, they will never be able to wish for you at a level that your parents will wish for you. Those mm-hmm. teachers have their own children. Yes, they love for you to succeed, but it's just physics. It's human nature. So don't forget uh, the importance of your parents. Now, this doesn't mean to, to everybody listening in that you have to be a copy uh, a copycat of your parents' advice. It doesn't mean this at all. Uh, and if we look at the Quran and the Sunnah, we see this from the, from the, from the tarbiyah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, how if there was a dispute between a father and son, how the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would come in, analyze the situation, realize mm-hmm. the, the, uh, you know, who's right, who's wrong, realize the age of the child. We see this in, in, in stories of, uh, the, the other anbiya alayhi salatu wa sallam, how Yaqub alayhi salam spoke to a young child, how he spoke to the older child, mm-hmm. right? How Nuh, uh, spoke to his older child, how Luqman spoke to his younger child, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, sometimes it has to be discussion based because of the age of the person. This person's reached the age of puberty. This person is responsible. The son you're speaking to, you will always be your son, yes. But this person is also responsible in front of Allah now, right? So um, I'm just highlighting that because uh, I get too many cases, subhanAllah, about uh, the parents and, 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 and the children uh, disputes. So for any parents listening in, we must also remember that tomorrow if your son or daughter comes to you, with a marriage idea, realize that they've, they've passed the age of puberty. They're on the clock as well. The angels are writing down things. And, um, you, you know, you need to be responsible as a murabbi in your advice. And remember the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and ask yourself, what would the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam do, do here? Mm-hmm. So a murabbi is definitely important, but uh, they are, 
uh, hard to come by sometimes. But mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah, we do have our parents. We do have our grandparents that can take care of uh, a few areas of our life that we, especially at the teenage, mm-hmm. uh, the teenage uh, sphere uh, or phase, um, you find that your parents, your grandparents, they do have the tools. They they do have the firepower to assist you. They do have the arsenal uh, to assist you with many of the things. But it's unfortunate that Shaytan, Subhanallah, at the teenage ages, he makes a person feel like he or she knows more than their parents. And this is a plot of Shaytan. Mm-hmm. Not just the teenage ages, perhaps. <laughs> Shaytan knows. Shaytan knows. And parents should know also that Shaytan is 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 playing with your child. Sometimes the parents, uh, uh, you know, explode, and then they. For they they choose they make a proactive choice not to advise their children. No, you have to realize that your children need you. Shaitan is playing with them. Shaitan knows that they don't have another murabbi besides you, and Shaitan knows that you know you have the university of life with you to advise them. So he creates uh, that friction, and that's why I'm speaking about this here because uh, in many cases, you know, I've guided the the university students to speaking to their parents, and they found the answer there. I see, and Subhanallah, it's a really beautiful message both to parents and to to young people or people in general looking for advice that sometimes the advice isn't, uh, you know, as far as we thought it was, it's, it's closer to home perhaps. Closer and, to home. And exactly. just in the interest of time coming to kind of the third part of the discussion, uh, you know, I'm a working professional and I'm a working professional. I have a nine to five job. I, I've identified that part of my vision is in this life is I want to become closer to the Quran. I want to memorize the Quran. And yet I find it very difficult to wake up early in the morning to memorize my one page. Or when I come home from, from work, I'm immediately uh, given the barrage of responsibilities in the household. Uh, I have kids. I have to go pick them up from school. And when I sit on the couch finally at 9 p.m., I'm too exhausted to do anything. There's always the question of, and this is the example of a working professional, but there's also similar examples for university students. Perhaps university students don't have that many responsibilities. But the real question is, Sheikhna, about motivation and consistency. Mm. How do I develop the discipline to remain consistent? How do I nurture that discipline within me in, in a practical sense? And how do I uh, avoid things like burnout? Um, you know, the consistency to work towards a large goal, sometimes it's only one page a day, one ayah a day to eventually in five years time, do something, achieve something amazing. But that requires something which we don't have, uh, you know, perhaps in the, in, in the current era, the era of instant gratification. We want things instantly. We're not satisfied. We also live in the era where there's an explosion of entertainment. So uh, a lot of, uh, you know, young people in their twenties struggle to, cross a day without watching or binge watching a TV series. Uh, mm. There's so many ways to kind of relax ourselves, uh, options for recreation that many of us struggle to actually put aside everything and work towards something that we actually have a vision for. What advice do you have uh, for that kind of? Uh, well, Hisham, look, um, firstly, you mentioned about, you know, as university students, you work in bursts, but certain things need consistency. Mm. But that, that, that is true. Uh, but what I've noticed with, um, with many people, um, is procrastination really? It's not about the burst. Sometimes is forced upon you. Force it upon yourself because you delay what you're supposed to do until until a time when you make something important urgent. It's like delaying salat al-dhuhr until the last moment. Mm. So you need that burst now to get through it. But whenever you do something, whenever you live life like this, where you make important things urgent, mm. you'll get it done. But the output will be of a very low quality. Mm. This is problematic. Okay. We should have consistency mm. in everything. Yes. yes. The Quran needs a daily relationship with us. 
Okay. Your exams don't need a daily relationship with, with you. Okay. In, in terms of, um, let, let, let me correct that. Your exams do need a daily relationship with you, but in terms of your, your final revision, your final overview, we call it revision, right? Not study. Studying should happen daily. You should be having a consistent relationship with the subjects that you study by studying daily. Mm-hmm. Like the Quran, it needs you to have a consistent daily relationship with it, mm-hmm. right? Then you need to have revision. So even with the Quran, for example, if it's a month before Taraweeh, two months before Taraweeh, you have a burst moment. You're revising because you have to stand on the Musalla. That's mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. right? But you need to have a consistent relationship in everything you do. And we need to make that the norm, brothers and sisters in Islam. We need to make that the norm. Mm-hmm. When it, we need to consistently pray Salah as early as possible. Mm-hmm. Not allow it to become urgent. Mm-hmm. And we spoke earlier about competing considerations. These competing, uh, why do they, why does it become competing? Because we delay doing what we're supposed to do, when we're supposed to do it until a time that hap- uh, uh, comes to us when so many things need to be done now. Right? Mm-hmm. You didn't phone your grandfather when you were supposed to. You didn't uh, visit that person when you were supposed to. You didn't study that when you were supposed to. Mm-hmm. So what happened? All of a sudden, it all came upon you at one time. And now you felt, well, now I'm a grandchild and I'm a student and I'm uh, trying to be a hafiz. And now it's all come. How do I manage this? Mm. But you, you would have managed it had you had consistency. Okay. Mm. Um, but in terms of your burnout question, then, you, you know, um, this is one of the reasons in my view, uh, from my experience, why people drop out of hifth, for example. Mm. It's, it's burnout. They overdo it. Mm-hmm. And even I, for example, personally, you know, when I began advising people, look at, looking at my own self, I would be target orientated. And I realized uh, after time that some, for some people being target orientated doesn't work. Mm-hmm. If you say, I'm going, I need to memorize a page a day. You, some people burn out. But mm-hmm. if you say, for example, I'm going to set aside 20 minutes to memorize a day. Mm-hmm. If I memorize a page, Alhamdulillah. If it's two lines, Alhamdulillah. This mm-hmm. leads to consistency. Now the matter of consistency is from the Sunnah. The Prophet mm-hmm. ﷺ said, "Min amali adwamuha wa inqal." From the most beloved matters to Allah are the consistent ones, even if they are uh, small in in size or small in number. Mm-hmm. It's more beloved to Allah that you read a little bit of the Quran every day than to read a lot of the Quran during one day in the month. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is about this is consistency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also when we look at uh, the sharia, we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he gave us five daily salah, obligatory salah, not six, not four. Ramadan, one month, not two, not less. Hajj, once a lifetime, in terms of compulsion. Why? Because as a common denominator, every Muslim can manage this. Mm-hmm. And it's vital to their success. If you had four salahs in the day, What's needed from you in terms of your iman, power, and so on and so forth to get into Jannah would be jeopardized. Mm-hmm. And six, subhanallah, would lead you to burn out. So Allah mm-hmm. said it at five. But if you, if you are, fr- if you, this is a common denominator, but you have some people who want to do more. Alhamdulillah, you have Salatul Duha, you have Tahajjud, you have the Sunan Rawatib. Alhamdulillah. Uh, same thing with fasting. You can fast Monday, you can fast Thursday, you can fast the three days of the month, Ashura, and so on and so forth. Right? 
Same thing with Hajj. You can go for Umrah. You can go for another Hajj. But as a common denominator, look at the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He created us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And He'll never put upon us a situation that we can never manage. So this is how He set the obligations. Mm-hmm. So it's set upon a way whereby this is something I know I can do when we go about our lives as well to bring about that consistency. Mm-hmm. When we are multitasking, we should multitask upon a common denominator. We should know that subhanAllah, this I can do. Worst case scenario, I can get it done. Best case scenario, I can get it done and more. This way we ensure that in terms of the, what I call the rocks of our day, like your Quran, like your salah, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the rocks. Like they have immovable parts of your day that are stuck in Exactly. They have to be there. You can't sleep except that you've read the Quran. We're not going to say you read half a juz, but you've read the Quran, right? Mm-hmm. And you've set that, you, 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 you've set it, uh, in, in a way that in worst case scenario, you can, whether you're traveling, whether you are resident, whether you, you, you know, in, in all circumstances, this you can get done. You should do that and then work on that. And if you see your day is more forgiving, build. If it's less forgiving, revert back to the common denominator. This is a practical step to helping us. So just to summarize, if goal orientation doesn't work for you, be time orientated. Say 20 minutes to memorize. If I can, uh, whatever I do, in, if I memorize, maybe you're memorizing a book of hadith. Some people, mashallah, can memorize, uh, you know, 40 hadith a day, 20 hadith. Some people, they can't do that. And if they set those targets, they'll burn out. We say, khalas, set, you know, 30 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, you know, set a time to revise, then set time to revise, uh, to, to memorize, then set time to revise. You brought the Quran issue. We must also remember the Quran, to memorize the Quran, you need to set different relationships. You need to have your memorization phase and you need mm-hmm. to have your revision phase. So you need to cater for that when you set your time limit for memorization. Right? Yeah. So uh, it's part of a longer discussion. That's beautiful. Uh, very practical and concise advice, Sheikh Jazakallah khair. On the question of motivation, um, all the you know self-help and personal development market books uh, try to touch on strategies, tactics, uh, you know, how to remain motivated, how to remember your why, et cetera, et cetera. But from a religious perspective, Sheikhna, uh, there's perhaps two aspects and perhaps more that you can touch on on the idea of remaining motivated. One is perhaps the idea of death as a motivator rather than a morbid, something we should be scared of, uh, death as a motivator. And number two, the uh, having good company. Uh, as as a motivator, when we fall short, when we feel low, when we feel like you know, for five days I've been a complete waste of uh, wasting my time. But then we meet our brother who's at, at in the first row for fajr, and then he sits down for one hour with his head in the mushaf, and immediately our spirits rise. Uh, or we meet our teacher or that circle of knowledge. You know, what are the different uh, spiritual methods to motivate us uh, towards uh, consistency in our vision and actions? Well, but I think the motivation factor. Well, I, well, what you mentioned, I would, I would classify as processes, mm-hmm. as processes. A good friend circle is an important process. Yes. And uh, it should, you know, uh, we didn't mention it, but definitely it's part of it. But like we said, dua to Allah, istikhara, istishara, having advisors, you need a good friend circle. Um, you said death. Death is a motivator for some people. For a lot of people, it isn't. It's too scary. I'm going to hide mm-hmm. under my blanket and that's it. I would say the greatest motivator is making Allah your purpose. Allah. Don't conflate purpose for result. Okay? I'll explain that very quickly. Going to the gym to lose weight is a result-orientated operation. Mm. Or going to the gym to get fit 
is a result-oriented operation. If you go to the gym, the result of it is you'll get fit. Mm. Okay? That's a result. Mm. It shouldn't be the purpose mm. that drives you to go. You need to make your purpose Allah. When you make your purpose Allah, firstly, you understand Allah is going to reward me. This is motivating. Secondly, you know, the more rewards I have, the bigger Jannah I'm going to get. So this becomes even more motivating because you're building Jannah in going to the gym. Mm. This is going to help you gain the motivation to go. Mm. Same thing with study. Same thing with all the difficult things. Understanding who you're doing it for. When you make Allah your purpose, and you know, He created me. He mm. sustains me. He gave me everything that I have. For Allah, I'll do anything. You know, some people say, Allah, I'm busy. But if that person asks, uh, you know, He's done a lot for me. Mm. Allah is asking. You're doing it for Allah, right? There's no greater motivator, subhanAllah. Mm. Uh, but our, the problem is, we conflate purpose for result. The mm. non-Muslim goes to university, for the degree, that's a mm. result. To the gym, to get fit, that's a result. They eat food to get full, that's a result. They go on a holiday to, re- to relax, that is, a, that is a result. Why should the believer operate in the same way? Mm. But we are from the family of La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. By being from that family, we connected to a greater idea, our mm. paradise. Allah. And we can make the norms of life an act of worship Worthy of growing that paradise by just flicking a switch. That switch is called making Allah your purpose. Flick that switch. Don't, don't study your degree for the sake of being a doctor. Study a degree for the sake of Allah. The result of it is you'll be a doctor. You want to help people for the sake of Allah. Make Allah your purpose. Keep on tying it back to Allah. There's no greater motivator. Honestly, there isn't. And that's why all these self-help books that you saw, They'll never be able to motivate, right, uh, to this level. Because they'll never tell you, work for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imagine your job that you're going to for 30 years, 35 years. It's like you feel like you're on the grind. You feel depressed about your job. But imagine, you know, I I speak to some people. They say, oh, Sheikh, I have to put food on the table. I say, I said, putting food on the table is the result. You're going to get paid if you go to work. Mm. You think your boss is going to tell you, I'm not paying you this month because you are working for Allah? Mm. It's a result. He has to pay you. You went to work. But imagine if you said, I'm going to work to give sadaqah because feeding my family is a sadaqah. Allah. I'm going to work because the hand that gives is more beloved to Allah than the hand that receives. How, how is that for a motivator? Mm. And this way you get the worldly benefit and the longer lasting benefit. Mm. You get your salary, which helps you till your grave and you get the salary from Allah, which helps you in your grave and beyond. You go to the gym to lose weight. That's the worldly benefit. But imagine if on your treadmill, as you are running, instead of counting calories, you are counting trees being planted for you in Jannah. Because you're going to the gym because uh, uh, body is an amanah. And the Prophet ﷺ told us to look after it because a stronger believer is more beloved to Allah than a weaker. Stronger in Iman and stronger in, in his badan as well. He has the ability. This is your intention. Allahu Akbar. What happens? Your time at the gym is a Jannah building exercise. The weight mm. loss, the fitness is a result. And mm. after the grave, you carry on living the benefit of your time in these places. So this is part of another longer discussion. And I have a mm. talk on this called the three eyes of success, which I would encourage everyone to, to, to listen to, in which I talk about how to convert the what we call the mundane activities of life into a Jannah building exercise. And inshallah, as well. We shouldn't have this dichotomy of worship and then I have to work, I have a degree, I have a full-time job. 
you are creating this dichotomy. You are separating. Mm-hmm. Islam is an entire way of life. Your job is Islam. Your family time is Islam. Your holiday is Islam. Your worship in the masjid is Islam. Yes, there are different levels. So mm-hmm. even uh, worship is at different levels. You have the obligatory salah. It's at a level higher than your sunnah. And even amongst the sunnah and salah, there's different levels. Mm-hmm. Your fasting is the same. So uh, when we, when we, when we compare uh, an act, which is an act of worship in and of itself with mm-hmm. an act, which can only be an act of worship if you intend it to be, then no doubt there's a difference, but mm-hmm. they share a common denominator that they both acts of worship because mm-hmm. they should, they should be both part of the Islam that you adhere to. And this way you build Jannah, different capacities. Yes. You build Jannah faster when you pray, but you should also build, be building Jannah at the gym building Jannah on the golf course, building Jannah at work, building Jannah on holiday. And this way, brothers and sisters in Islam, when you live your life with this kind of uh, understanding, making Allah my purpose, you won't overeat, you won't oversleep, you won't go on the wrong holidays because you you can't, you can't book the wrong holiday, right? You, you're going on holiday to build Jannah. Mm-hmm. So you're going to choose the holiday properly. So and like so beautiful that, you know, I suggested some ideas for motivation, but they were processes and you brought us back to the purpose the intention, the connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's just to cut you off, continue. It's about making Allah your purpose. We must do that, brothers and sisters in Islam. There's many ways to get to Jannah. Abdurrahman, five out of the ten who were promised Jannah before they passed away were multi-billionaires in today's, uh, in, in, in today's currency. Multi, brothers and sisters in Islam. They were not sheikhs, muftis, ulama. If you look at uh, the, the ten who are promised Jannah before they passed away, only a handful of them were known to be from the muftis of the Sahaba. Mm. Right? Um, uh, you know, even Hufad of the Quran. Mm. We, we, we don't have all the Sahaba Hufad of the Quran. Mm. Say some parents come to me and say, Sheikh, I want my son to memorize the Quran. I say, you should want your son to have the character of the Quran. If he has the ability to memorize the Quran, Alhamdulillah. But don't look down on him because he didn't memorize and your neighbor's son memorized or your brother's daughter memorized. No. Because at the end of the day, Allah didn't put that obligation on Ibn Adam. Mm. But Allah put the obligation of having the character of the Quran. Sometimes it's about flipping priorities and making urgent things that are not urgent. Mm. And then we overwhelm ourselves and our situation and we burn out and the vision helps create that line of sight between us and our end. So it helps discount the things that we thought were good, but they're not right. Mm. Such that we left with right. And that brings a life of focus. It brings about an ability to be diligent with the legacy of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as we said at the beginning. And a wise man once said that a candle illuminates, but a laser if is focused light. Focused light is a laser and a laser cuts through steel. Subhanallah. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be just lights, brothers and sisters in Islam. We need to be lasers. Focus. We need to be lasers. High mm-hmm. impact. Mm-hmm. High return on investment. High return on equity. Our time is our equity. Our money is our equity. Everything we allow our eyes to see, the eyes we use, this, these are our resources. We need to have high return in investment. They say your ROI, your mm-hmm. ROE. This mm-hmm. is... This is how a Muslim thinks, return on investment. What's the greatest return on? If I do this, this is my return on investment. If I do that, it's greater. That's what I'll do. So That's what it's about, right? We know that the poor people came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and they complained. They said, the rich people are beating us. They're building Jannah uh, in a way faster and bigger than we can ever achieve. 
So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, don't worry, say subhanallah, alhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah. Do this dhikr. This will be your sadaqah. So they went away happy. You see, their, their mind was all on building Jannah. It mm-hmm. wasn't that the rich have money. It was that the rich have money to do things that we can't do. Mm-hmm. Look at their thinking, subhanallah. This was the tarbiyah given to them. You know, it wasn't about having money for the sake of having money or being rich for the sake of being rich. Their money was in their hands. It was already with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not a small thing when we say Abu Bakr went with everything and Umar went with half of his wealth. Right? And Uthman was, was, was loading, uh, you know, camels with everything and riding them into Medina and not just giving the load to Abu Bakr, uh, the load as well as the camels and saying feed uh, the poor of Medina. Uh, subhanallah, we spoke about the five out of the ten being billionaires in today's terms. What I'm highlighting, brothers and sisters in Islam, is you don't have to say for me, to go to Jannah, I got to be a sheikh. I got to go to Medina. I got to go to Azhar. I got to go to Darul Ulum. I got to memorize the Quran. Identify who you are. Identify who you're not. And work out the way you're going to get to Jannah. Abu Huraira with his hadith. Khalid ibn Walid with his war tactics. Abdurrahman ibn Auf with his business and his money. Umar ibn Khattab with his leadership. Abu Bakr with so much that we can't imagine. Right? What and is, and, uh, what and is to connect it back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remain motivated, to remind ourselves. They were always connected. This is the thing. If you look at the life of the companions that we, you know, uh, the, the, um, and, and they, they daily, uh, goings, their daily activities, you don't find it void in the first place. Mm. You know, when we sit and say, subhanallah, uh, Talha, for example, uh, when, when his relative asked him for, uh, for help he gave him land between two mountains mm. he gave it you and i will say wow subhanallah but for him it was it was like eating bread why because that's beloved to allah whether it's a, a, a land of the size of a handspan or between two mountains it's for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's all the same right they did it with ease so we, we you know for us we sometimes look at them and say but you know they were sahaba they were no, they were human beings but their perp, they sincerely were attached to their Lord. They sincerely were attached to the afterlife. You know, when a companion throws his date, he throws his dates. He says, Inna hayatun tawila. He's, this, eating this date is too long. Huh? When, when, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, who can, who can go in and, and get Jannah as a result? They were already there. Mm. Being on earth was an inconvenience. For you and I, brothers and sisters in Islam, dying is an inconvenience. Allahun musta'in. Until we shift, and you spoke about uh, death as a motivator, Akthiru, uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Akthiru hadim al you know, increase the remembrance of that which kills desires, that's death. Mm-hmm. The companions being on earth was an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. It, was the in, it, was, it was the inconvenience that we have to go through before we get what we want. Mm-hmm. You and I, we want what we want, but we also want here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Allah forgive us, Allah forgive mm-hmm. us. But once we develop our iman and the vision helps us with this, inshallah, uh, I can assure you to my, my young brothers and sisters listening, you won't want to ever live a life where you don't know how to make a decision. Mm-hmm. It becomes so addictive. Mm-hmm. Because in life, people are going to tell you, oh, you should have married her. She was such a good girl. But when you have a vision and you know why you didn't marry her, you know she was good, but she wasn't right. You're not going to be depressed because of what everyone's saying. You studied this degree instead of that degree. People say, why didn't you study that degree? 
That's where it is. But you know why you studied this and you didn't do that because you have an end that you want to achieve that that degree won't help you achieve, but this degree will. Mm. And when you lose motivation because it's too hard, you think of the world you want to see the day you die and that motivates you to carry on doing what you need to do now. Mm. You appreciate its value. That's beautiful. Right? It's always about living your life, seeing that end. Obviously, the end has to motivate you. You shouldn't see the end and start crying. You need to close your eyes and see an end that subhanallah makes you want to wake up every day. You know, as they say, believers don't see dreams in their sleep. Yeah. Huh? For believers, the dream stops them from sleeping. Makes you want to work. Makes you want to yeah. work, right? So, um, uh, you know, have, have a vision that really you are convinced will wake you up every day motivated. And every time you feel life pressing you down, close yeah. your eyes, think of that end and it will build you up. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, brothers and sisters in Islam, subhanallah, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was kicked out of Mecca. He was uh, going towards Medina, looking over his back. He had to hide in a cave. He had to strategize his departure. He had to leave for Medina in a route, on, uh, using a route that is not normally used. He had all of these things with a ransom being placed on his head by his own people. He was made homeless. He was made houseless. He was made landless. He was made cityless. And on his way to Medina, Suraka catches up with him, this expert marksman, this expert hunter. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam makes a dua. And Suraka's horse starts sinking in the sand. And Suraka shouts out, because this is how close Suraka was to catching them, that I heard you say something that has caused this to happen to my animal. <coughs> ask, ask Allah to save uh, my animal from, from this and I will let you go. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam turns to him and says, and listen to this brothers and sisters in Islam. Listen to this. O Suraqa, what do you say? Or what would you say if Allah made you wear the gold bangles of the bangles of Kisra, of Persia? Brothers and sisters, understand the statement. We, when we read it, we read it in isolation. You have to imagine, this is a man who's stateless, homeless, landless, moneyless. People are after him. He has nothing. And he's promising Kisra, the gold bangles of Persia. Persia was a mighty civilization mm. who were competing with the Romans. Another mm. mighty civilization. Nobody cared about the desert Arabs between the two civilizations. Nobody cared about them. These the Arabs had to go to them for trade and buy from them and come sell. They were the upper hand. They had armies. You couldn't imagine the Quraysh uh, taking them on, let alone a stateless man. Mm. This is a vision, brothers and sisters in Islam. Mm. A difficult moment. What is driving the messenger? Mm. It's Islam reaching the four corners of the world. This is wakes him up. This is what takes him to Taif. After he's, he's pelted, he carries on. When the angels say, we'll, we'll crush them. He says, leave them. Maybe their progeny will realize. Why do you make that? Why do you make, why do you give this answer? Mm. Because you have the vision. Mm. If these people are crushed, where will Islam reach the four corners of the world? Mm. We, they, they, they don't understand. Maybe their children will understand. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is making dua for the Islam of Umar, when Umar is beating the Muslims who accepted Islam, from his tribe. At that time, Umar is beating 
and the Prophet is making dua for the Islam of Umar. Why? You might say, oh Prophet of Allah, this doesn't look right. Just look out your window and see what's happening. Mm-hmm. Now this is what a visionary does. He knows that the vision, the world I want to see is, is, is far bigger than the life that I have. I won't be able to achieve this vision of Islam reaching the four corners of the world in my life. I need to leave a team that will go and get the job done. An inspired team, a trustworthy team, a motivated team, a team that will be in the service of the Quran. You think Abu Bakr's uh, rule to uh, Omar going to him and him accepting to gather the Quran was a small matter? Uthman standardizing the Quran was a small matter. Look at this team the Prophet sallallahu left behind. Yeah. This is a visionary. Coming back to the Suraqa story, brothers and sisters in Islam, the Prophet sallallahu is promising Suraqa this. I saw these gold bangles of Persia in the British Museum. Right? Now the bangles I saw were a hundred, uh, just over or just a hundred years. Just over or just under. A hundred years from the bangles that the Prophet wasallam was referring to. Mm. These were big bangles. Gold, pure gold bangle. Okay? So it means the, the ones the Prophet wasallam was speaking about were even, were even grander, right? were even more greater and more mm. grand in reality. He's promising this man this at this moment. Mm. This is a visionary. Mm. This is tawakkul. This is discipline. This is self-motivation. This is uh, willpower. This is, this is where you don't give up. You think of that end mm. and you speak, you speak the, the speech of a leader. Mm. You wouldn't expect the speech to come from a man who's stateless, landless, who has a bounty on his head. You promise me, you're promising me the gold bangles of the king of Persia. What are you talking about? Mm. Look who you are. Mm. Right? You can't handle the Quraysh and you're talking about the king of Persia. This is leadership. This is visionary. Those mm. bangles, by the way, Suraqa wore them at the time of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu. Mm. Persia were defeated. Mighty battles took place prior. It was not easy. They came with the elephants. They came with everything. Those bangles came to Medina. And Umar called Suraqa. He was very old. Suraqa came. What is this? He says, wear these bangles. He wore them. He says, this is the promise of, this is the promise of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Coming through, he promised you about wearing these bangles. Subhanallah. And the amazing thing is, the Prophet wasn't alive to see the materialization of that vision, but he made the prediction and he made the promise. That's what a visionary does, uh, Akhil Habib. You you work and you put your trust in Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. That's what I want to say to my brothers out here and my sisters, because you know we human beings. I I don't want to sound like there's no human element here. We are going to have tough days. You know, there are going to be days when you do what you do, what you do, and you fail the exam. Mm. There are going to be days when, when it just doesn't work out. There are going to be days where you're trying with your parents and they're upset with you and it affects you and you feel broken and you feel lost and you feel unable. Those days will come. There are days when you, your, your mother is going to shout at you, but you never intended anything bad and it's going to be heavy on your shoulders because you know what, what Allah wants with regards to your, to your parents. Mm. I'm, I'm, don't look. We're not trying here to to sound like you know we 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 angels. Mm. This is life. Yes, I mean, this is life. Life gives you days that are for you and days that are against you. But what I'm saying to you, all brothers and sisters in Islam, that doesn't excuse us for not being visionaries, for not ach- aiming, trying to be visionaries, trying to be people 
of uh, of, of 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 uh, of leadership uh, because we at the end of it all when you wipe the fog mm. what remains is that you are a carrier of the legacy of the of 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 the anbiya alayhim salatu wassalam the legacy of muhammad ibn abdullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam along with other people mm. you don't have time to waste life is too short to waste time by making wrong decisions mm. life is short don't make it shorter by wasting time mm. you don't have the luxury to make the wrong decisions the ummah needs us we need to invite the non muslims to islam we need to look after the new muslims we need to improve the iman of the born muslims this is the legacy of muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam it's plenty to do a little but, time but beautiful things to do habibi beautiful things to do it shouldn't make us feel overwhelmed it should make us stand up and say ana laha i'm available announce to allah that you're available seek help from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ista'in billah wa la ta'jis seek help from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and don't feel that you are not capable you have allah you believe in him in your heart you have the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam what else do you need and with that beautiful conclusion shaykhana I think we should open the uh, the the floor for question and answers from the audience the live audience I've already uh, um I've already received one question from brother who said uh, earlier on you mentioned that we shouldn't be bystanders and if our friends are going astray we should try our best to help them what's the line between uh, taking responsibility for the path they've gone on you know how how involved should we be or you know when do we draw a line and say look now I can't help this person anymore or you know it's really not my responsibility he makes his own choices where's the balance between letting them go uh, and not being too uh, kind of too clingy or overbearing on them look um uh, to our brother that that's asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you uh, we have to remember that uh, we are duat we are guiders to Allah and there's no greater call than the one who calls to Allah and does good deeds and he announces himself from the believers mm-hmm. this da'wah never ends until your deathbed yaqub alayhi salam gave da'wah to his children when he was dying it kuntum shuhada id hadara yaqub al maut allah says were you present when death came to yaqub What did why is Allah highlighting this because he said to his children on his deathbed what will you worship after me you're still giving them da'wah this is point number 1 so it never ends uh, dear brother the way you go about it changes evolves sometimes it's done with your tongue sometimes it's done with your hand sometimes it's done with your heart the da'wah you do for your friend is you make dua that Allah returns him a beautiful return this is da'wah that's number 1 Number two, our job is to convey, not to convert. Allah never made it upon us to convert anybody. Mm-hmm. We try to convert through the only thing we can do, which is convey. We have to convey. That's what we have to do. Mm-hmm. As long as you know you're conveying, focus on the method of conveyance. And don't be burnt out by the fact of no conversion. If you focus on conversion, Number one, you might not ever do da'wah because you're always looking for the right time because your focus is on him converting. But you're focusing on something that Allah never put in your hands. Mm-hmm. Right? If you focus on conveying, then this will enable you. 
and it will stop you from burning out. So this is what I would say is don't ever give up on inviting your friend. You don't say, I let him go. The Prophet sallallahu wasallam doesn't want anyone to be let go to the fire. In the least, make dua for him. In the least, as your strategy, when you've exhausted, yes, all of us have our limits as well. Sometimes if we engage someone in a particular way, it has, it has a negative impact on us. Our salah gets affected. This is something we should also be aware of that our, you know, we should look at, you know, what we're able to do and what we're unable to do. Understand our levels. Once you get to that level and you can't go beyond, make dua to Allah. Don't leave him without your dua. SubhanAllah. Mm. And that kind of relates, Shaykh, for the answer to the last question we'll take before we, we wrap up, which is, um, if one is feeling overwhelmed, are there any ways on which to call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala any specific du'as when one feels overwhelmed with their priorities with all the uh, the challenges that they have in life mm. is there a specific way in which to call upon Allah Wallahi any sincere du'a from the heart suffices I want to highlight this first mm-hmm. we shouldn't feel that there's some uh, big process to it okay turn to Allah from your heart and ask Allah in a language you understand but add to it if you can, and this is something I found very effective. Add to it if you can, istighfar and sending salutations upon the Prophet sallallahu alaihi Yes, and if you have time, the dua of Yunus in the whale. La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-zalimi. In my experience, these three have, uh, I say, created uh, were a means of miracles uh, happening. Subhanallah. And, and, and really, you realize that you are nothing and even the little you achieve is because Allah helped you through it. Um, so this is my advice. Make dua in a language you understand and if you have the capacity, then uh, istighfar and everyone should be able to say astaghfirullah. This is very easy. It's very light on the tongue. But not just say it without understanding what you're saying. Think of your sins and say astaghfirullah. Uh, send salutations upon the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Somebody said, "I will make all my dhikr sending salutations upon you to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam." The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "If you do that, then Allah will forgive your sins and Allah will lift your difficulties." So, sending salutations upon the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and then I also highlight the dua of Yunus because Yunus was in a predicament in the three darknesses: the darkness of the whale, who was in the darkness of the sea, who was in the darkness of the night. Nobody knew where he was, but Allah heard him in all those darknesses, calling out to Allah, and Allah saved him uh, from his uh, uh, his uh, his difficulty. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala knows best. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, the, I think there is one more question. Um, I will show it here, but. We have maybe a three or four minutes, Sheikhna. So if you want to, uh, you can have a look at this question and see. Um, how can Muslims work on their state of mind to anchor themselves? Naam. This is a very good question. Allah, Allah bless the, the question. And this is from uh, uh, living your life for Allah. Ikhlas. Don't live, don't do anything um, with the hope of getting appreciation from the people. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when it comes to direct acts of worship, no doubt you can't do it. If you do it, that's shirk. Mm-hmm. But we remember we said, we, there's no dichotomy. Make, you, make Allah your purpose. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't do anything. يعني مراعات الأعمال في الأعمال. No. Try and get yourself to a level whereby people's praise and people's criticism is the same for you. Mm-hmm. When people praise you, 
You fear Allah and you revise yourself and see how you can get better. When people criticize you, you fear Allah and you revise yourself and see how you can get better. This is, this is, this is the discipline we need, brothers and sisters in Islam. If you're going to make people a judge for, of your success or failure, you most probably will always be a failure. Only Allah forgives. People are not forgiving. It's the no. mercy of Allah that Allah never made any man, any woman, uh, a, a judge for our success or our ultimate success or failure. People are unforgiving. Allah yeah. is Ghafur Rahim. And thank Allah never put this difficulty on you. Why would you want to put this difficulty on yourself? Always mm. looking, what did he say? What did she say? How did he take it? How was it? Forget about all of that. Do it for the sake of Allah. If you got an A star and you didn't study for your exam the way you should have, you crammed at the end, right? In front of Allah, you should be disappointed with yourself. Mm. Because that was an ihsan. That was an excellence. And do an extra su- su- uh, uh, a prostration of thanks for Allah honoring you despite your failure and not being excellent. And if you studied properly, you never made it urgent and you failed your exam, alhamdulillah, you know in you, that you made Allah your purpose for, for this study of yours and you were excellent in how you went about it. Passing or failing is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah gives us what we want sometimes. And we build Jannah through thanking him. And sometimes we fail and we build Jannah through being patient. That's and Jazakallah khair, Sheikh. Thank you so much for your time. For all the beneficial points, inshallah, once I end this broadcast, this video will remain live on YouTube for those who want to watch the recording, those who want to follow up later on. Um, and we hope that this podcast is, uh, or this discussion is the first of many and specifically uh, one that provokes thought and discussion and all of us to go away and really think about ourselves and introspect how, uh, how strong is our vision? How strong is our connection with Allah? And, uh, how, how well do we prioritize our various tasks? Uh, using the yardstick of our vision and using the yardstick of what pleases Allah the most. Once more, Sheikh, Sheikh Sajid, thank you so much for your time. Uh, may Allah allow all of us to act on what was discussed today. Okay. Uh, to the listeners. And we will see you all in another conversation very soon in a few weeks' time. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.